Hi, I'm Tony Myers, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup, all things impacting global supply chains this week. In the news this week, Nancy Pelosi makes a visit to Taiwan. China's not best pleased. China retaliates against the visit by Nancy Pelosi by surrounding the island with aircraft and firing live rounds to intimidate the population. But the Taiwanese appear quite sanguine by this. It's something that they're quite used to. Russia continues its war in Ukraine, but a grain ship gets away with a cargo destined for Lebanon via Istanbul. Interest rates rise in the UK by half a percent. Bank of England says inflation is likely to reach 13.3% by October and forecast a recession. And where's the government? On the holidays. In the United States, gasoline prices have fallen for the first time since June. In the United Kingdom, petrol prices have also fallen. The United States insists it's not destined for a recession. Those are just some of the things coming up. Last week, the House of Representatives approved $280 billion, a package, a legislative package, aimed at keeping the U.S. competitive with China. And it's designed to ease the persistent shortage of computer chips that have a stranglehold on production across a number of industries, including automobiles. The Republicans opposed the passage of the bill, but it was approved 243 to 187. And Joe Biden will sign off the bill, which includes $52 billion in subsidies and additional tax credits for U.S. semiconductor manufacturers. The response from companies is that it will strengthen semiconductor supply chains against future disruption. So it's part of the resilience strategy. Semiconductors, of course, were invented in the United States, but nowadays they assemble just 12%. 40% come from China. And Taiwan and South Korea are the other big players. So between them, they assemble and control most of the semiconductor market. So if the United States could redress the balance, that would be a good thing. Thomas Crapper invented something that we're all familiar with, and the clues in his name, well, his surname to be precise. Well, it's the toilet, of course, and I read an interesting article this week in Nature, the scientific journal, about a redesign of that most basic of items that we find around households and business premises, the toilet. And the suggestion is that if they can redesign it and siphon off the urine from the solids, so number ones from number twos, they can improve the environment and reduce waste, and they can use the urine to generate better fertilizer. So that's an interesting redesign, isn't it? And it's an Austrian firm that have put the work into that one. So a simple pipe that can take away the urine separately from the solids is all that's needed. I say all, it's quite a complex uh, re-engineering job. And of course, just think of how many toilets you need to replace. So it's a different sort of uh, chain issue, isn't it really? Supply chain issue. When we come to replacing toilets, I'm guessing that the inventor with the patent will uh, strike gold, as it were. Just an aside, apparently Thomas Crapper, who was a British plumber, he was born in 1836 and he refined the flush toilet. He worked at Windsor Castle, Buckingham Palace, and apparently his name is over all the manholes in London, or certainly a lot of them if they haven't been replaced. 
So he was a great advertiser, great marketeer, as well as a plumber. And he held nine patents on toilets. So now perhaps the Austrian firm can uh, make a big improvement for the first time in a century or more. Interest rates in the UK this week have risen by 0.5 of a percent and they now stand at 1.75. This is apparently the biggest increase in interest rates for 27 years. So 1.75 in the UK. The Bank of England also stated that it expects inflation to peak at 13.3% in October, the highest since 1980. Well, remember when they were only suggesting that it was going to be 9%? And I said on this program, it wouldn't be 9%. All the signals were it was going to be much higher. So they're now nearly 4.5% up on their original forecast. Of course, they still have this stupid limit that uh, the policy is to maintain inflation within 2%. That seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Given where we are right now, apparently the UK government don't think that the Bank of England has moved fast enough to raise interest rates, given the economic uncertainties. And there's a lot of talk about uh, whether the Bank of England should be autonomous and have the sole right to uh, raise and lower interest rates. So we'll see how that one plays out. The other news I read this week, oil prices have been falling. I noticed that Brent crude had fallen back to about $99 a barrel. And I note that uh, in the United States, gasoline prices have fallen back from those highs in June of $5 a gallon to $4.16. So uh, prices falling in the US. And they've also retreated by a small amount in the United Kingdom this week. So fuel prices have dropped from the highs of the nearly £2 per litre back to around £1.80 a litre. So let's see those prices go down. Let's see inflation go down. A report by Allied Market Research published this week said that they expect to see more electric aircraft. The global market for more electric aircraft generated $1.8 billion in 2019, and it's expected to reach $4.6 billion by 2027. So that's a, an increase of 15.5% from 2021 to 2027. That's the annual gross rate, anyway. It notes changing market dynamics. Fixed-wing aircraft dominated this market. There is, of course, an increase in demand for high-performance, fuel-efficient, less-polluting aircraft, and so electric aircraft fit the bill. On the other hand, you need a lot of capital to uh, develop those aircraft and advanced battery solutions. It seems there's a lot of opportunity, but uh, there are some difficulties ahead. Lead players in this market include Amitech, BAE Systems, Bombardier, Elbit Systems, GE Aviation, Honeywell International, Raytheon Technology Corporation, Rolls-Royce, Safran and Thales. So it's an interesting developing market. Now the other big news this week was uh, Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, which seems to have stimulated China into exercising its military might, flying planes and other aircraft over Taiwan in an intimidating way. China, of course, 
claim that Taiwan belongs to them, whereas the people living in Taiwan see that differently. But Pelosi's visit seems to have opened up a can of worms, and uh, it's not clear how uh, how this will uh, play out. It's quite dangerous, I think, in all kinds of ways. We've already got one aggressor in Russia, in Ukraine. Uh, we don't need another one. China's military drills following Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan of disrupted shipping lanes in the South China Sea. And China said on Friday that it will no longer cooperate on talks about military matters or climate change with the United States. Well, let's see what happens. Taiwan, of course, provides many of the chips used in the manufacture of electric goods. And Taiwan has a lot of connections with China through its trade, whereby it assembles many of the electronic products it sells to the world in China, in mainland China. So there are connections there. So if there were to be conflict in that area, that could have severe impact and disruption on all kinds of products sold on global markets. China, of course, as we know, provides many products to many countries. And it's had a trade war with the United States for some considerable time. It's doubtful that Nancy Pelosi's visit will have helped the situation at all. Now, many of you listening might remember a time when diplomacy was uh, practiced by our politicians as they traveled the globe. There doesn't seem a lot of diplomacy these days. There doesn't seem a willingness to negotiate. One could argue, of course, that it's difficult to negotiate with aggressors or with rogue states. For the fifth month in a row, car sales in the United Kingdom have fallen. And this is due to a fall in demand, but it's also a result of supply chain problems. New car registrations are down 9% on a year ago. Corporate fleet sales are down 18.2%. Registrations were 50,014 vehicles, while sales to consumers held steady at 59,847. The global shortage of semiconductors exasperated by COVID lockdowns in important centres for logistics in China have caused disruption, and also the Russian invasion of Ukraine has all slowed things down. All in all, it's a tougher year than expected, and the full-year forecast for car sales for new car sales is down to 1.6 million from 1.72 million, which was the original forecast. So quite a significant drop. This is equivalent to a 2.8% drop in sales compared with 2021. And it would make this year one of the most challenging years for the motor vehicle industry in three decades. Of course, there's other things at play in the car industry. As we know, there's the shift in technology to electric vehicles, and that's all playing a part too. So there's quite a big problem with the car industry. The sales of battery-powered electric vehicles across the UK has grown by nearly 10%, 12,243, but it's a long way off the sales for other types of vehicle. Electric vehicles accounted for just under 11% of the market overall. But volatile supply chains are the issue here, in the main. We're concerned about inflation hitting 13%, but in Turkey it's already 80, 8-0. Eight, 
with supply chain woes impacting the car industry and particularly microchips and, of course, materials for battery supply, there's been a scramble in a tight market from automakers to reach new sourcing agreements. General Motors announced this week that it's got some new sourcing agreements in place for its battery-driven vehicles. And other car makers too are following suit. General Motors has made long-term partnership agreements with LG Chem, POSCO Chemical and Levent. And they'll provide key materials including lithium, nickel, cobalt and cathode active material, CAM. General Motors aim to produce 1 million electric vehicles a year. GM also has a joint venture with a South Korean-based supplier, POSCO, with respect to CAM. And last week, of course, Ford Motor Corporation signed up several deals to build up the supply of raw materials needed for their battery capacity. So a lot going on in the car industry as they're switching technologies. It was February the 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine. But this week, three ships sailed out of Ukraine with grain. There was a rare diplomatic breakthrough in this five-month war. The United Nations and Turkey brokered a safe passage deal between Moscow and Kiev after the United Nations warned of famines due to Ukrainian grain shipments not getting through. The three ships loaded with grain left Ukraine ports last Friday under a recently concluded deal with safe passage. The first grain ship left Odessa on Monday. On Friday, two grain ships set off from Chornomorsk and one from Odessa with a total of about 58,000 tonnes of corn. The Turkish Defence Ministry said the Panama-flagged Navistar carrying 33,000 tonnes of corn bound for Ireland, departed from Odessa. The Maltese-flagged Rosian, carrying 13,000 tonnes of corn, departed from Chornomorsk port, bound for Britain. The Turkish-flagged ship Polonet, carrying 12,000 tonnes of corn, set off from Chornomorsk for the Turkish Black Sea port of Karasu. So we have three more ships with grain. So let's hope this is the start of better times to come. It was reported by Reuters this week that Italy is close to a deal with Intel to set up an assembly and manufacturing plant for microchips in the country. The deal is said to be worth 5 billion US dollars. Albemarle Corporation, based in Nevada, is looking at ways to recycle lithium. They were quoted as saying they're evaluating just how they partner, invest and develop that supply chain. Eric Norris is head of Albemarle's lithium division. Sounds like a really good idea if that one can work. Albemarle aims to build a lithium processing facility in the United States southeast later in the decade to process and recycle lithium, Lifecycle Holdings Core, and privately held redwood materials are among the existing North America battery recyclers. So a whole new business springing up to satisfy electric vehicle manufacture. Now Brent crude oil prices hit over 120 US dollars per barrel earlier in the year as a result of the oil shortages and of course all the uncertainty in the global economy. 
and demand peaked as everybody got back to work after COVID. Now, the speculation that the behind-the-scenes talks between world leaders, including Joe Biden and Emmanuel Macron and various other European leaders, speaking with Middle Eastern sources in Saudi Arabia and others, have uh, come to some arrangement, no matter how tentative that might be, that if there's a crisis and a shortage of oil in the winter period, that output will rise. Now, that will stabilise prices, probably. But with the Bank of England's announcement this week that there's going to be a a recession, likely, meaning a downturn in the economy, presumably the interest rate will actually add to that recession, that recessionary pressure, because that's going to increase cost for people anyway. Whether that had to happen or not is another matter, because uh, observers are saying that demand is falling with the rise in the energy prices in any case. But if recession bites, what's going to happen is that demand for oil will decline anyway because output will fall and there'll be a lowering of demand for oil, which means there's going to be falling prices for oil, likely. With the Bank of England's announcement today anyway, the future oil prices have fallen to around 90 US dollars per barrel. So it'll be interesting to watch over the next six months to see what actually happens. Now, the European Medicines Agency has put a warning out about Novavax, the COVID-19 vaccine. And it says that Novavax should carry a warning on the label of the possibility of two types of heart inflammation, myocarditis and pericarditis. These are side effects of the product. This is based on a small number of reported cases, the EMA said. There were no heart inflammations side effects noted during the clinical trials of Nuva Oxovid, which is Novavax, and more data will be gathered to investigate this matter. It was back in June that the US Food and Drug Administration flagged a risk of heart inflammation from Novavax. And myocarditis and pericarditis were previously recognised as a rare side effect, and it's mostly seen in young men, apparently. China has said that its average ground temperatures have risen much more quickly than the global average during the past 70 years, and they expect them to remain high in future. This was published by China's Weather Bureau in a statement about the climate this week. Temperatures rising from 0.26 degrees Celsius, which is 0.47 degrees Fahrenheit, each decade since 1951. And the global average apparently is just 0.15 degrees Celsius. So there's some concern about this. It doesn't sound much, but it's enough to melt water from the ice caps. 12 glacier flows through the Kilan Mountains and Subel Mongol and other places. So uh, serious issue. Antonio Guterres, UN General Secretary, said last month, that no nation was immune from climate change and the world had to choose between collective action or collective suicide. It's certainly the case that temperatures are more erratic and, of course, climatic conditions are more erratic than they were in the past. There was a story breaking in the news this week about uh, hailstones with the size of those hailstones in Canada 
being the size of a football or that sort of size, apparently doing quite a bit of damage to uh, anything that got in the way, motor vehicles and everything else. Now here's a short piece I came across earlier this week, and it's in respect of the Georgia Port Authority, which reported its fiscal year to 2022, had its busiest June ever, handled about 494,107 20-foot equivalent container units. GPA is handling the highest volume of ad hoc and new service vessels the port of Savannah has experienced. So, seems good news for Georgia and Savannah. There is a downside to both Savannah and Eastern Ports in New York. Apparently the dwell times for container boxes in Savannah have risen by 100%. And similarly, New York has more container boxes that are spending longer in port than they need to. And this is all putting pressure on container prices. At a time when demand for container boxes is actually falling, the price is remaining high. And that's a story that broke on CNN this week. Another piece I came across mentioned investment by Samsung, $192 billion to build a chip plant in Texas. Back in June, Samsung began making state-of-the-art 3NM chips for the first time. The company has applied for tax relief on 11 possible future chip-making plants in Texas. Altogether, this would represent a total investment plan of about 200 billion US dollars. The South Korean company plans to build the plants in Taylor, and that's about 50 kilometers from the state capital of Austin. Two could actually be in Austin itself, according to Electronics Weekly. In Austin, Samsung already operates one factory and is building another. It started work on its first factory in Taylor. If it got the green light for these investments, the first two plants of the 11 would be in operation by 2034, with others coming on stream later. Now, the port of New York and New Jersey have said they'll charge ocean carriers for long dwelling of containers beginning in September. This is a bid to reduce the number of empty containers that are remaining on the dockside. It'll cost $100 per container fee and it will be charged quarterly to carriers whose outgoing container volume does not equal or exceed 110% of their incoming container volume. The fee is one of the port's efforts to better handle record import volumes. It was announced last Tuesday and the public have 30 days to comment on it. It will be reviewed later in the year. So it's a policy to drive down this East Coast problem that we talked about just now. I'm guessing that this will be another policy that might transfer to other ports if they're experiencing similar dwell times. Environment, social and governance factors have moved right up the agenda in recent times, as you will know. And if you've listened to previous editions of the Chain Reaction podcast, then you'll have heard me talk about these matters, along with things like the Green Revolution, climate change, maintaining fair labour practices and supply chain governance over time. And resilience and sustainability is the subject of this week's Chain Reaction podcast, so drop by and have a listen to that. Well, that's it for this news roundup. But just before I go, don't forget, catch up on the episodes that you've missed. And of course, as always, 
Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook and Twitter. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, presented, written and produced by Tony Hines. special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains now we have a weekly news roundup every saturday at 12 noon all things impacting global supply chains in that week so come and join us on the chain reaction podcast i look forward to seeing you there i'm tony hines i'm signing off bye for now